Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of John, chapter 6. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Last week we looked at the feeding of the 5,000 which was a misnomer, I told you, because it could easily have been the feeding of the 15,000 or 25,000 even with men and women and children. Uh, Jesus created enough food not just to feed them minimally. Look at chapter 6, verse 12. They were all filled. Literally, that's glutted or gorged. They had so much left over. The 12 disciples took a basket each. They had leftovers. They had a to-go box. The feeding of the huge crowd is the high point of the Galilean ministry. It's the most massive miracle that Jesus did. Are you listening? It involved more people than any other miracle that Jesus did. The feeding of this multitude is the peak of Jesus' power. It's not only the peak of power, but it's also the peak of his popularity as Jesus has been in ministry for two years at this point. After the feeding of the 5,000, the enthusiasm for Jesus reaches a fever pitch. So by the time this miracle power of Jesus has covered the Galilee and the feeding of the 5,000, his power reaches his peak. Let's jump right in. I've titled this sermon, God in the Storm. Jump right in, John chapter 6, picking up in verse 15. Saints, if you're looking at verse 15, I need you to say a hearty amen. Amen. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by what, saints? Force to make him what? King, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now, When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three to four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But Jesus said to them, It is I do not be afraid. And then they willingly received him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land. Note this. He got in the boat and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Stop right there, saints. Give me your attention. After Jesus had done this miracle of the feeding of the multitude, look at verse 14. They saw this sign And they said, this truly is the prophet. And then in verse 15, it tells us they tried to take him by force and to make him king. Now listen, Jesus knew something that they didn't know. 
Jesus knew that he was Messiah, but he also knew he was king, and he also knew that this was not his kingdom. They were looking for a political leader, someone to lead them against Rome. They're thinking, here's our shot at Rome. This guy has miracle-working power. He not only can heal our bodies and deliver them from disease and raise the dead, but he can also be the source of our food supply. That's all we need. They were ready to start a rebellion, a revolt, a revolution. And Jesus would be their leader to overthrow Herod in Rome. They were more concerned about the tyranny of Rome than the tyranny of sin. Jesus, how many of you know, is no man's puppet king. And Jesus had his own plan. And it didn't include being the leader of a rebellion or a coup. Jesus didn't come to kill. He came to die. Say amen. Amen. Say thank you, Jesus. The first time he came, he came to die. The next time he comes, he's coming to kill. The Bible says the next time that Jesus comes, he's coming in the clouds with great glory and to judge and to kill. Amen. Coming in the clouds with great glory. Every time I say that, I think of my wife and I riding down, uh, I think we're in I-15 in California. We're listening to a Bible study. One of the pastors said on the Bible study, they said, Jesus is coming in the clouds with great glory. And my wife said to me, she looked over at me, I'm driving, she looked over at me, she said, did he just say that Jesus is coming in the clouds with great glory? I said, no, honey, great glory. She said, I thought he said he was coming with great glory. I said, he ain't that important. (laughs) Coming in the clouds with great, great glory. He ain't that important. Goodness gracious. First time he came, he came to die. Next time he comes, he's coming to judge in the clouds with great glory, not great glory. When Jesus came to the earth, he had no political agenda. Did you know that? Did you know Jesus wasn't a Democrat or a Republican? Amen. Four people knew that. He had no political affiliation, no social agenda. He had no moral agenda. Jesus only had a spiritual agenda. He came to offer salvation. Write it down. Luke 19.10 tells us, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save, anybody know, that which was lost. This is Jesus' only agenda when he came the first time. Jesus came to be king. He would be a spiritual king over the hearts of men. Well, they thought they saw a political victory. They thought, well, maybe we should kidnap the miracle worker and have him do tricks for our benefit. When Jesus realized that they wanted to make him king, Jesus left the area and went into the mountain by himself in verse 15. Look at verse 16. When the evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. Now write this in your margins, if you will. Mark 6, 45 tells us Jesus immediately made made the disciples get into the boat and headed toward Capernaum, and it was already dark. So keep in mind now, several of the disciples are fishermen. So it was no problem that they're rowing across the Sea of Galilee in the dark. But while they're rowing in verse 18, are you checking with me? In verse 18, while they're rowing out to sea, a storm comes out of nowhere. Write this down. Matthew 8. I'm putting the story together for you. 
Matthew 8.23 tells us the storm was a great tempest. The word tempest is seismos. S-E-I-S-M-O-S. Seismos. We have the word seismic or seismology. Meaning this storm was a real shaker. This storm was fierce and violent. This storm was sudden, just came out of nowhere. Remember last week I told you, the Sea of Galilee is 13 miles long, 7 miles wide, 680 feet below sea level. If you've been to Israel with us, you know that Mount Hermon, listen to me, is in north. And Mount Hermon is 9,280 feet above sea level. So Mount Hermon is always snow-capped. It could be middle of summer, dead of spring, and there'll be snow on Mount Hermon. So the cold air would come down on the Sea of Galilee from Mount Hermon, and it would smack with the warm air that's on the Sea of Galilee, and that collision of cold air and hot air produces a storm. So storms pop up in seconds there. This, they actually have some really huge waves as a result of these storms. They, uh, the Sea of Galilee has been reported to have waves of 25 feet or higher. So some of y'all gnarly dudes that, uh, you know, y'all like a gnarly man, gnarly dude. I mean, that sounds kind of more country than beachy, but gnarly man. And, uh, and uh, you really like this. Uh, all these waves and stuff. I don't do no surfing. And uh, I'm not in the surfing. Uh, I remember one time I was out on uh, Lake Jordan, uh, Jordan Lake, and uh, right here, not the one in Israel. And, uh, but I've been in that one too. But this one right here. And uh, we, my friend was uh, we're wakeboarding. And that's what you do on the back of the boat when they pull you on the back of the boat. You wakeboarding. And uh, can y'all wakeboard? Can you wakeboard? You look like you can wakeboard. And... Uh, I couldn't get it, y'all. They were like, you know, you need to like hold on to the boat and hold on to the, the rope, right? And then the, the boat takes off and just pulling you. And then you're supposed to throw your body up. Like, I guess your feet on boards. Aren't your feet on boards? I ain't did a while. Feet on boards or whatever. Some people do bare feet, don't they? You do a bare feet? You don't look like you do a bare feet. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so we were waiting, pulling off and I'm like, okay, I can do this. I can do this. Man, I could not get up to save my life. I was bouncing all over that water. I'm like, hey, hey, stop the ball, stop the ball. I'm drowning. It's like, a circle back, come get me and carry on. I ain't in all that. I'm leaving. Leave that for y'all young people. And uh, so get the scene here. And our, the disciples, the Bible tells us, if you notice in, in verse 19, the Bible tells us the disciples are three, four miles in the middle of the lake. And Jesus is up on the mountain praying. He's not in the boat. Mark 6, 48, write that down, tells us it's the fourth watch of the night. That's 3 to 6 a.m. in the morning. So it's dark. It's early in the morning. It's it's dark and the, the storms pop up. And they're striving and straining their oars to survive. The boat is out of control and they're struggling to go to a familiar place. And the boat is at the mercy of this vicious wind, tossing them around, and their lives are on the line, and Jesus isn't there. And I thought about this. Think about this. I thought about this yesterday. The kingdom of God is in this boat. What are you talking about, Willis? 
Think about this. The kingdom of God is made up, first of all, of a bunch of used-to-be's. The kingdom of God is made up of a bunch of used-to-be's, a bunch of used-to-be dancers, used-to-be prostitutes, used-to-be drug addicts, used-to-be used robbers, and used-to-be thieves, and used-to-be gamblers, and used-to-be fishermen, just ordinary people. And here we have a wooden boat in the middle of a storm, and the future proclaimers of the kingdom of God are in it, the disciples. And this is a very dangerous moment for the kingdom. Nazareth has rejected him. Galilee has rejected him. Herod wants to kill him. The Pharisees want to kill him. The leaders in Jerusalem want to kill him. And now this first generation of gospel preachers are in dire situation. And the future hope for the gospel preaching demands, on, demands their survival. And their rescue is essential. Well, the boat is being tossed. The waves are splashing. The wind is howling. Here comes Jesus walking on the water. Don't you want to go, hooray, yay, Jesus. And here's my sanctified imagination. I see Jesus walking on the water, and with every step, he's smoothing out the turbulence. Every step. Jesus got to the boat. I don't even think he was wet. I don't think there was a hair out of place. Now listen, there were two miracles here. One miracle is Jesus walking on the water, obviously. And then there's another miracle. Write this down. Jesus sees his own. Remember, it's dark. Jesus was up on the mountain. There in the water being tossed around in this dangerous tempest storm. And Jesus walks right up to them. Did you get that? He walks right up to them. He's not groping in the dark. Jesus is not walking around saying, hey, where are you guys? Uh, where are you at? Keep talking. Keep talking. I'm, I'm, I hear you. I'm getting near you. That's not what's happening. Jesus walks right up to them because he knows everything. Jesus sees in omniscience. He knows everything. He knew exactly where they were in the deep, dark night, and he sees his own. God always sees his own. Did you know that? Jesus knows everything, and he knew exactly where they were, and he knows where you are. Hmm? He knows where his own are. He knows where we are. So that he can come in a time of need, in a time of desperation. Well, look at verse 20. Jesus walked up to the boat and said, don't be afraid, it is I. Jesus gets in the boat, and suddenly they're on land in verse 21. Did you notice this? Jesus identified himself, and then they're on land, story over. Isn't that interesting? The miracle doesn't get much attention or explanation. The story is embedded in the story of the feeding of the 5,000 intentionally. I don't think John's purpose was to give us a long sermon on Jesus' ability to walk on water. I believe this story is intended to show us and clarify that not only will Jesus give you the miracle of bread, but also to give you the miracle of his presence. Why? Because he said, can I wait while somebody says amen and clap your hands? Why, can you do that just a little bit? Just uh, not even that much. 
He said, I'll always be with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be what? Somebody read it with me. Able to separate us from the love of God, which was in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus is saying, nothing's able to separate you from me. I'll walk on water to be with you. And when you take me into your boat of life, you'll arrive safely. So whether it's being rescued from hunger by making bread or being rescued from wind by walking on water, the point is, I don't just give bread, I am bread. I don't just make the wind stop I get in the boat. Look at verse 22. I'm waiting while you clap your hands. Amen. Amen. Look at verse 22. You're looking at it? Say amen. On the following day when the people were on, were standing on the other side of the sea, saw that there was no other boat there except the one which his disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. And then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is, come on, y'all read it with me. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So give me your attention on the following day that people are standing on the other side of the shore and realize that there were no boats there. So the next day they came looking for Jesus. The disciples are gone. There's no other boats. They didn't know what happened to Jesus. Look at verse 23. It tells us there were other boats there that came from Tiberias and those boats pulled right up to the place where they had done the miracle. But people but the people saw that Jesus wasn't there and his disciples weren't there. So they went to Capernaum looking for Jesus and they found Jesus in Capernaum. Now, how do we know that? Well, look at verse 59. Look at verse 59. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught where saints in Capernaum. So they're saying, Jesus, how did this happen? How did you get here? Jesus got there. Obviously, they found Jesus in the synagogue in Capernaum, the synagogue. If you've been to, with us to Israel, you know that the synagogue is still there. The ruins of it is still there. And uh, it's a decent size. And this is the synagogue where they find Jesus teaching. So Jesus, watch this, saints. Jesus arrives in Capernaum. And the first thing he does is he goes to church. Don't you love that? It's so simple. Jesus goes to church. It sounds like a book, doesn't it? Or a movie or something. Jesus goes to church. And we should go to church. And here's a good exhortation, especially because we're in the summertime. Go to church. Even if you go to the beach, go to church. Because some folk put on their swimming trunks in the end of May, June, they don't take them off to the end of August. 
because they just stay in the trunks. They don't do nothing. They go to the beach and they don't do nothing. Listen, go to church. Just because it's summer doesn't mean you need to take off from going to church. And even if you're at the beach, go to church. Thank you, three people. I'm a priest of y'all because they don't know what I'm talking about, okay? Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Go to church. Am I right about it? And husbands, it's your responsibility to get your family up and go to church. Y'all hanging out the beach working on your tan and all that. Because I don't work on my tan because I was born this way. And uh, go to church. You know, people think it's summertime. Oh, we don't go to church. We don't need to go to church. I mean, you know, we're on the beach and we're on vacation. You don't go on vacation from Jesus. I think that's right. We don't go on vacation from Jesus. You go to church. Wherever you are, go to church. And even if it's not a Calvary Chapel down there or whatever, I was just talking to a couple between services, and they went somewhere, and it wasn't a Calvary Chapel, and there was like a, a community church or whatever. And they said, you know, we just need to go to church. We need to go give God his time because God gave you his time. When he died on the cross for you, he gave you his time. You can give him 30 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour. Can you not? Come on. Come on. Go to church. Make church a priority. We should make it a priority. Don't just fit it in. So they're perplexed in our story. Jesus has been left behind, and yet he managed to get across the sea, and they ask where he came from. And Jesus, did you notice this? He didn't answer that question. He tells them why they came. Jesus says, these people are expending a significant energy tracking me down, going from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other. Why? Because they have eaten to the full. The product of his miracle satisfied them, not the person of the miracle. Did you write that down? The product of his miracle satisfied them, not the person of the miracle. They admired Jesus only because of what he gave them materially. They weren't moved by full hearts. They were moved by full stomachs. And then Jesus said in verse 27, do not labor for food which perishes, but for food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son will give you. Don't labor for food or for meat, some of your Bible says, that perishes. In the Greek language, it's in the present tense, and it means it's already in the state of perishing. Don't labor for food that's already perishing. Now, what does that mean? Don't labor for food which perishes. Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean, are you listening? It doesn't mean quit your job and stop working. Somebody say amen. Over and over and over and over and over again in the New Testament, we're commanded to work. Ephesians 4, 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to give to others. 2 Thessalonians 3, 10, for even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, what saints neither shall he eat some of y'all got some folk in your house they won't work amen if they don't work they don't get no breakfast that's just what the bible says. i'm just saying what the bible say i saw i'm staying biblical if they don't work they don't eat that's just the way it goes it seems in our country doesn't it we're Obsessed with food, doesn't it? It's a little strange to me. Have you noticed how many food shows are on TV? 
You don't even know how many food shows on TV? Like you got Iron Chef, Top Chef. Uh, what's another one? What is it called? Master Chef. Master Chef? I had a new one. I, I, Thursday, I learned something in third service. Master Chef. They got chopped. I heard that one. It's a new one. Is that a new one? Chopped? And they got Hell's Kitchen. I don't even want to say that from the pulpit. And uh, oh, I just did, didn't I? I'm sorry. Yeah, they got that one. And uh, and they got the one where the guy's walking around. He's going state to state, and he's eating as much food as he possibly can. Man eating man. Uh, I'm gonna say man. Uh, animals eat man, but uh, it's man. It's, it's man eats food. Man versus food. Then do you know how we have? Listen to me. Do you know we have sunk to new lows when we are entertained by a man walking around stuffing hot dogs in his mouth? This is a new low. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.